Chapter Twenty of First on the Moon by Jeff Sutton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The day of the warhead arrived. The Earth was a thin crescent in the sky, whose light no longer paled the stars. They gleamed hard and brittle against the purple black of space. The reds and yellows and brilliant hot blues of suns, lying at unimaginable distances in the vast box of the universe. Night still gripped Crater Arsicle, with its intolerable cold, but a zodiacal light in the sky whispered of lunar dawn to come. Measured against the incalculable scale of space distances, the rocket had but a relative inch to cross. That inch was almost crossed. The rocket's speed had dropped to a mere crawl before it entered the moon's gravitational field. Then it had picked up again, moving even faster toward its rendezvous with destruction. Now it was storming down into the face of the land. They buried Red Dog. Larkwell had improvised a crude scraper made of metal strips from the interior of Drone Baker to aid in the task. He attached loops of cable to pull it. Craig, Larkwell, and Richter wearily dragged the scraper across the plain, heaping the ash into piles, while Nagel handled the easier job of pushing them over the edge of the rill. The unevenness of the plain and occasional rock outcroppings made the work exasperatingly slow. Craig fumed, but there was little he could do to rectify the situation. It took the better part of eight hours before the rill was filled level with the plain. With only the extreme end of the tail containing the airlock being left accessible. Won't do a damn bit of good if anything big comes down, Larkwell observed when they had finished. There's not much chance of a major hit, Greg conjectured. It's the small stuff that worries me. Bandit would be just as safe, Larkwell persisted. Perhaps he turned away from the construction boss. Richter was swinging his arms and stamping his feet in an effort to keep warm. Nagel sat dejectedly on a rock, head buried in his arms. Craig felt a momentary pity for him, a pity tinged with resentment. Nagel was the weak link in their armor, a threat to their safety. For all practical purposes, two men, he didn't include Richter, were doing the work of three. Yet, he thought, he couldn't exclude the German. The oxygen and supplies he consumed were less than those they had obtained from Bandit and Red Dog. And Richter worked, worked with a calm, relentless purpose, more than made up for Nagel's inability to shoulder his share. Maybe Richter was a blessing in disguise. He smiled grimly at the thought. But we're all shot, he told himself, all damn tired. Someone had to be the first to cave in, so why not Nagel? He looked skyward. The stars reminded him of glittering chunks of ice in some celestial freeze box. He moved his arms vigorously, conscious of the bitter cold gnawing at his bones, sharp needles stabbing his arms and legs. He was cold, yet his body felt clammy. He became conscious of a dull ache at the nape of his neck. Thought of the warhead stirred him to action. We gotta fill this baby, he said, speaking to no one in particular. 
Oxygen, food, gear. There's not much time left. Larkwell snickered. You can say that again. Craig said thinly, we'll make it. He looked sympathetically at Nagel. Come on, Gordon, we gotta move. Craig kept the men close together in single file with Larkwell leading. He was followed by Nagel. Craig brought up at the rear. Memory of Prochaska's fate burned in his mind, and he kept his attention riveted on the men ahead of him. They trudged through the night slowly, wearily, following the serpentine path toward Bandit. He occasionally flicked on his torch, splaying it over the column, checking the positions of the men ahead of him. They rounded the end of a rill, half-circled the base of a small knoll, winding their way toward Bandit. Overhead Altair formed the great triangle, with Deneb and Vega. Antares gleamed red from the heart of Scorpius. Off to one side lay Sagittarius, the archer. He thought that the giant hollow of Arzachel must be the loneliest spot in all the universe. He felt numbed, drained of all motion. Commander, the single imperative call snapped him to attention. Come quick, something's wrong with Nagel. Craig leaped ahead, flashing his torch. He saw Richter's form bent over a recumbent figure while his mind registered the fact that it was the German's voice he had heard. He leaped to his side, keeping his eyes pinned on Richter until he saw the man's hands were empty. He knelt by Nagel. His suit was inflated. Craig breathed easier, he said briefly. Exhaustion. Richter nodded. An odd rumble sounded in Craig's earphones, rising and falling. It took him a minute to realize it was Nagel snoring. He rose in a secret sweat of mingled relief and apprehension and looked down at the recumbent form, thankful they were near Bandit. Larkwell grunted. Gets tougher all the time. It took three of them to get Nagel back to the rocket. Craig pressurized the cabin and opened the sleeping man's faceplate. He continued to snore, his lips vibrating with each exhalation. While he slept, they gulped down food and freshened up. When they were ready to start transferring oxygen to Red Dog, Nagel was still out. Craig hesitated, reluctant to leave him alone. The move could be fatal if Nagel were the saboteur. But if it were Larkwell, he might find himself pitted against two men. The outlook wasn't encouraging. He cast one more glance at the recumbent figure and made up his mind. He'll be out for a long time, Larkwell commented, as if reading his mind. Yeah, Craig replaced Nagel's oxygen cylinder with a fresh one, closed his faceplate, and opened the pressure valve on his suit. He waited until the others were ready and depressurized the cabin. He climbed down the ladder thinking he would have to return before the oxygen in Nagel's cylinder was exhausted. Each man carried three cylinders. When they reached Red Dog, Larkwell scrambled down into the rill and moved the oxygen cylinders, which Craig and Richter lowered into the rocket through the new airlock. They increased the load to four cylinders each on the following trip, a decision Craig regretted long before they reached Red Dog. It was a nightmarish, body-breaking trek that left him staggering with sheer fatigue. 
He marveled at Larkwell and Richter. Both were small men physically, small but tough, he thought, tough and durable. Nagel was awake waiting for them when they returned for another load. He greeted them with a slightly sheepish look. Guess I caved in. That you did, Craig affirmed. Not that I can blame you. I'm just about at that point myself. Nagel spoke listlessly. Alpine sent a message. Oh? Craig waited expectantly. Colonel Gotch. He said the latest figures indicate the rocket would strike south of Alphonse at 1350 hours. South of Alphonse? How far south? It would be close. Craig thought maybe too close. Maybe by south of Alphonse, Gotch meant Arzachel. Well, in that case, his worries would be over. He looked at the master chrono. Time for two more trips, if they hurried. They were making their last trip to Bandit. Larkwell led the way, with Craig bringing up the rear. They trudged slowly, tiredly, haunted by the shortness of time. Yet they had pushed themselves to their limit. They simply couldn't move faster. Strange, Craig thought. There's a rocket in the sky, a warhead, a nuclear bomb, hurtling down from the vastness of space, slanting in on its target. The target? Adam Craig and crew. If we survive this, what next? The question haunted him. How much could they take, specifically? How much could he take? He shook the mood off. He would take what he had to take. He thought, one more load and we'll hole up. The prospect of ending their toil perked up his spirits. During the time of the bomb, they'd sleep, sleep, sleep and eat and rest and sleep some more. Halfway to Bandit, he suddenly sensed something wrong. Richter's form ahead was a black shadow. Beyond him, Nagel, was a blob of movement. He flicked his torch on, shooting its beams into the darkness beyond the oxygen man. Larkwell. There was no sign of Larkwell. He quickened his pace, weaving the light back and forth on both sides of their path. Larkwell. His voice was imperative. No answer. Larkwell. Silence mocked him. Richter stopped short. Nagel turned, coming toward him in the night. Where's Larkwell? He was ahead of me. It was Nagel. Richter shrugged. Can't see that far ahead. Craig's thoughts came in a jumbled train. Had Larkwell been hit by a meteorite? No, they would have seen him fall. Must have drawn ahead, Richter observed quietly. There was something in his voice that disturbed Craig. Why doesn't he answer? Nagel cut in. Why? Why? Larkwell! Larkwell! Answer me! Silence. A great silence. A suspicion struck his mind. Craig caught his breath, horrified at the thought. Let's get moving, fast. He struck out in the direction of Bandit, forcing his tired legs into a trot. His boots struck against the plane, shooting needles of pain up his legs. His body grew sweaty and clammy, hot and cold by turn. A chill foreboding gripped him. He tried to light the way with his torch. The rocks made elusive shadows, shadows that danced, receded, grew and shortened by turn, until he couldn't discriminate 
between shadow and rock. He stumbled, fell heavily, holding his breath fearfully, until he was reassured his suit hadn't ripped. After that, he slowed his pace, moving more carefully. His torch was a yellow eye preceding him across the plain. Bandit rose before him, jutting against the stars, an ominous black shadow. He moved his light, playing it over the plain. Larkwell. Where was Larkwell? The yellow beam caressed the rocket, wandering over its base. Something was wrong, dreadfully wrong. It took him an instant to realize that the rope ladder had vanished. He swung the torch upward. Its yellow beams framed Larkwell's body against the hatch. Larkwell, Craig called imperiously. The figure in the hatch didn't move. Richter came up and stood beside him. Craig cast a helpless glance at him. The German was silent, motionless, his face turned upward toward the space cabin, as if he were lost in contemplation. Craig called again, anger in his voice. There was a moment of silence before a voice tinkled in his earphones. Larkwell? There's no Larkwell here. The words were spoken slowly, tauntingly. Craig snapped wrathfully. This is no time to be joking. Toss that ladder down and make it quick. The silence mocked him for a long moment before Larkwell answered. I'm not joking, Mr. Craig. He emphasized the word Mr. There is no Larkwell, at least not here. A fearful premonition came to Craig. He turned toward Richter. The German hadn't moved. He touched his arm and began edging back until he was well clear of the base of the rocket. Nagel stood off to one side, seeming helpless and forlorn in the drama being enacted. Craig marshaled his thoughts. Larkwell. My name is Malin, if it interests you, Mr. Craig. Igor Malin. The words were spoken in a jeer. Craig felt the anger well inside him. All the pent-up emotion he had suppressed since leaving Earth boiled volcanically until his body shook like a leaf. The scar on his face tingled, burned, and he involuntarily reached to rub it before remembering his helmet. He waited until the first tremors had passed, then spoke, trying to keep his voice calm. You're disturbed, Larkwell. You don't know what you're doing. No, you think not? Craig bit his lip vexedly. He spoke again. So you're our saboteur. Call me that if you wish. And a damn traitor. Not a traitor, Mr. Craig. To the contrary. I have been very faithful to my country. You're a traitor, Craig stated coldly. Come, be reasonable. A traitor is one who betrays his country. You work for your side, I work for mine. It's as simple as that. He spoke languidly, but Craig knew he was laughing at him. He made an effort to control his temper. You were born in the United States, Craig pursued. Wrong again. Raised in the Maple Hill Orphanage. I have your personnel record. Ah, that was your Martin Larkwell, the voice taunted. But I became Martin Larkwell one sunny day in Buenos Aires, part of, shall we say, a well-planned tactic. No, I am not your Martin Larkwell, Mr. Craig, and I am happy enough to be able to shed his miserable identity. 
"'What do you expect to gain?' Craig asked. He kept his voice reasonable, hedging for time. "'Come now, Mr. Craig, you know the stakes. The moon goes to the country whose living representative is based here when the U.N. makes its decision, which should be soon. Note that I said living.' Most of the supplies are in Red Dog, Craig pointed out. There's enough here for one man. The voice was maddenly bland in Craig's earphones. You won't live through the rock storm, Craig promised savagely. The chances of a direct hit are pretty remote. You said that yourself. Maybe. That's good enough for me. Damn you, Larkwell, you can't do this. Throw the ladder down. It was Nagel. Again the scream came over the earphones. Throw it down, I say. You've made a mistake, Craig cut in calmly. We can survive. There's enough oxygen in Red Dog. I opened each cylinder you handed down, the man in the hatch stated, matter-of-factly. In fact, I opened all the cylinders in Red Dog. Sorry, Mr. Craig, but the oxygen's all gone. Soon you'll follow Prochaska. You did that? Craig's voice was a savage growl. This is war, Mr. Craig. Prochaska was an enemy. He spoke almost conversationally. Craig had the feeling that everyone was crazy. It was a fantastic mixed-up dream, a nightmare. Soon he'd awaken. Coward! Nagel screamed. Coward! Damned coward! The figure in the hatch vanished into the rocket. He's armed. Craig's mind seized on the knowledge that two automatic rifles were still in bandit. He ordered the men back, alarmed. Nagel stood his ground, screaming maledictions. "'Come back, Gordon,' Craig snapped. Malin reappeared a few seconds later, holding a rifle. Craig snapped his torch off, leaving the plane in darkness. "'Move back,' he ordered again. "'I won't. I'm going to get into that rocket,' Nagel babbled. He lunged forward and was lost in the darkness before Craig could stop him. Nagel, get back here. That's an order. I won't, I won't. His scream was painful in Craig's ears. A yellow beam flashed down from the hatch and ran over the ground at the base of the rocket. It stopped, pinning Nagel in a circle of light. His face was turned up. He was cursing wildly, violently. Nagel, Craig shouted a warning. Nagel shook his fist toward the hatch, still screaming. Flame spurted from the black rectangle, and he fell, crumpled on the plane. Move further back, Richter said quietly. Craig stood indecisively. Richter spoke more imperatively. He's gone. Move back while you can. Happy dreams, Mr. Craig, and a long sleep. The hatch closed. End of chapter 20